because that is effing weird is here to bring you all that juicy material on today's episode which is well without further ado tom delong <laughs> that is the episode that we'll just get right into it we're we're, we're talking we're, we're good i think well, let's just go but yeah tom delong that's uh that's the topic of today um there's two two big parts that we're going to cover in today's episode which is the the early part of his life his musical career and then we're going to switch gears and we're going to go into the uh, the juicy part, as I would like to say, the uh, the meat and taters, the UFO part, the the part that he kind of I think like well, I'm not going to lie. So before doing the research, I thought it was one of these things where he just like went off the deep end and was just like no. a UFO nut. But it, it's the, completely the opposite. So um, but I'll, I'll cover that part. Ro, I hope you, I hope you're gonna have probably this kind of the same reactions as the audience if uh, they're not too familiar with his career. So it'll be interesting to get your take on it and everything. It's a firsthand experience listening about him. So, Tristan, let's let's hear it. Let's hear the let's hear the early parts of his life. Well, okay. So Tom Belong's an interesting <laughs> dude. Okay. <It's, laughs> okay, but I have to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I don't have a whole lot organized necessarily. I've been sick all week, but I, I I love this band a lot. Like this was, as I'd said to Alex earlier, when I used to be a machinist, um, it was not uncommon for me to listen to their first album through the last album, like days on end, just over and over and over again. Like I, I like these guys a lot just because of the. I just it hit at the right time and just what they were kind of doing always was amazing to me. Um Tom DeLong was born in California. If I remember right, he was born in Northern California and I think he moved to Southern California later. Um and he was just kind of like that class clown kind of dude. He was born in 75 plus or minus a year around that time. Um and I think he was yeah, he was the younger one. That was always the big thing. Um, once he moved down to Southern California in Pomona or oh, Poe, I, I don't know if that's the right, right way to pronounce it, but it's P-O-W-A-Y, California, which is kind of outside of San Diego, if I understand right. Um, long story short, if I remember right, his sister was dating Mark Hoppus, um, and Mark Hoppus was, I think, like four or five years older than him. Like he was, he was a couple of years older than him. So they got together and both of them were just kind of obsessed with the the California punk rock scene um, and just kind of the fun of it. They were both just kind of goofballs. If I remember right, the, the first time they met, Mark Hoppus climbed, which is the bass player of Blink-182, he climbed a telephone pole and then jumped off the top and broke his ankle just to try to what? impress Tom. Yeah, because Tom DeLong just had, especially in the past, like he's one of those dudes where he's like 6'5", six, 6'4". Six, so he's, he's a big fucking dude. And he was just like really funny and just kind of like, just kind of had that personality about him that you just kind of wanted to hang out with him. Um, that was the kind of all the ways he was described when he was especially younger. Uh, he, he was just a silly dude. Um, and they got together and started playing and they got this guy, Scott Rayner was their original drummer. I, I, I don't, it, it wasn't as meaningful the way they found him. I know I've heard the story, but it, I, I don't, it was just more of a friend of a friend thing, if I recall correctly. And Scott yeah. Rayner's drumming was really interesting. It was so different than most of the Blink-182 that, 
people are associated with later. Because most people really associate them post the, the album Enema of the State, which is where like all the small things comes from and uh, Adam's song and then a couple, another one or two. Uh, but before that, they had a totally different drummer. And that dude was, he, he was something else. It was a very different style. But anyway, so they got together. They toured Southern California. They, they did like three albums together, started to really pick up traction. And then, unfortunately, Scott Raynor, his he, the the general consensus is was he, he was an alcoholic and stopped showing up for shows, um, mm. or would just like play so terribly they'd kind of kick him out, that kind of thing. Now they were touring at the time with this band called the Aquabats. They're a weird band, and you have to look them up. They wear like jumpsuits and like dress up like superheroes, and it's just silly, <laughs> weird, kind of that ska late night. Because this is in the late nineties. Um, they they were formed yeah. in ninety two. They really got going, going about ninety nine. So it's almost seven years of them just kind of grinding it out. But think that time period. And um, the drummer for the Aquabats was Travis Barker. So what Travis Barker would do is he would just hop in on their sets when Scott was either too drunk or whatever was going on. Um, and he could just fill in because a good drummer can just do that. They, they don't really need to, they're not constrained by the, uh, the notes of the song. So they don't need to know the key or the subtleties of any of that. As long as they understand how the song structure works and play restrictively, basically not be too forward. They can pretty much just jump into any band and just at least figure it out. And, you know, Travis Barker was one of those drummers that he just knew music well enough. He could just kind of jump into it. Um, so once he joins the band, everything changes for that, for that entire dynamic. And um, that is where they do that album, Enema of the State, which is what blew them up. And that's where they become just juggernauts of the music industry for a, quite a long time. I don't have the exact date that they broke up, but you know, the short story is they did Enema of the State and they did uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which just the best album title name of any album my favorite by the way i i i love that album so fucking much that album is amazing um and then they did their self-titled album and then they're like all their kind of uh egos and stuff got in the way and they broke up this is like 2006 seven some some somewhere around then um, yeah, it's just, the, it was an ego thing. Like Tom DeLonge at this point, when he, when he broke up with the band, he didn't do it. He had his manager do it. And, and it was all over some, some bullshit. Like, uh, I think the manager messaged Travis and Mark, the, the other two members, um, Tom's out like in all capital letters and that was it. And he just never came back. Really? I think the thing with Tom DeLonge, you got to understand, especially in the earlier parts is like he, he, he wanted so much to be like the best songwriter and just be so good. And part of the thing I love about Blink-182 is they're, they're just like, they're, they're not though. Like they write really great, like fun, catchy songs, but they're nowhere in their head. Like what they wanted in their head was nowhere near what they actually came across as. And it was just something kind of charming about that. And just genuine, and that's why their music worked, even though it was silly kind of pop music, is they're coming at it from such an authentic place. Now, part of the reason they were able to do that is because of Tom DeLonge. He just had this attitude about him that he, when he was being emotionally, poured all his emotion into it, but it just, it wasn't like some great emotional ballad. It was just kind of a whiny pop song. And it was just kind of adorable. I think you, like, you can, I think you can kind of see that, like, with a lot of their music videos, I don't know if he had a lot to, like, like 
play in like the like this is what I want to do for this music video but how he acted and how he was during some of those music videos I think you can kind of see that personality in him with some of those songs like all the small things like him just sitting on a toilet in one of the scenes just like and it's like it's like the the classic like 90s like like the the wind is blowing in your hair his shirt is open yeah. but then it like it pans away and he's sitting on a toilet and there's it's just like you get the vibe that it's like, yeah, he's he's a really goofy guy, you know, like all this stuff. So, yeah, I think I, I can I can see that. And I we were talking a little bit before the show, and Tristan, you said this might uh, upset a couple of people, but I to me their song like the vibe that I get is a lot like Nickelback, yeah. <laughs> and I know I know a lot of people don't like Nickelback. But, like, we can all think of, like, a Nickelback song that is just, like, a, you know, no matter what, even if you hate them, there's this, like, what well, you call them song worms or uh, what'd you call Earworms them? is what they're called. Earworms. Thank you. Yeah, they're, they're strong melodies. And also, Nickelback, that, like, one album was really good. The one with, like, all the, the, the first hits that they had. Mm-hmm. Dark, they had, um, fuck, what was, all the right or wrong reasons? It's, a, it's one of those two. Because the, the song is mm-hmm. called all the wrong reasons and the album is called all the right reasons something like that okay that's that's the one with uh rockstar on it want to be your rockstar that that fucking song and that's a bad song but that album is really good <laughs> bro <laughs> the, you, bro your mic is off we can't hear you i yeah, can't hear you <laughs> Uh, okay, as I'm, I'm so out of the loop here. I really want to know why do people hate Nickelback? It's because okay. of a, it's a meme, and their music was not that good after like they did one really cool album. That album was great. Dark Side of the or Silver Side of the Bullet, or it's a song about Dimebag Daryl, and it's like one of the coolest songs like ever written ever. It's a great album. It the first track is awesome. It kicks in super heavy. It was mixed very well, and it was exactly what it needed to be. But the next album was not, and then the next album was even more not. It, it was It's like the prime example of a band doing one thing right and then never f- fucking evolving at all. So all other bands were held to that standard of, like, you don't want to do a Nickelback. And that's why. It, there, there's another reason, too, on top of that. Um, there was a comedian who was on a TV show. And this was when Nickelback was just starting to kind of like, they were starting to get known, right? Like they weren't huge, but they were, they were, they were getting their foot in the door, but a comedian was making a joke and he's like, Oh, like this is terrible. And it just reminds me of Nickelback. And like, everyone was like, what's Nickelback? And he's like, it's this terrible band, like blah, 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 blah. So he kind of like planted the seed that Nickelback Mm -hmm. already sucked. Right. But then on top of that, there was a, I can't remember what song it was. It was a, one of their early like hits. It was played that year more than any other song on the radio. And on like graph is probably that one. Cause that it, it might've been, but like this was pre like Pandora, Spotify, where it's like, you know, you're getting a bunch of different music. Like, the radio was your single source of, you know, music at the time or like, you know, like for the most part and just people were hearing it constantly over and over and over and over and over again until the point where it was just like, I don't want to hear Nickelback anymore. And then that added to it. 
but what was it? It was, uh, I think it was the drummer or the bass player. He was doing an interview and he was saying, <laughs> he was saying that, um, that he's afraid that if the band isn't hated, that their band is no, it's not going to be a thing anymore. So he's like, the hate that they get is what made them popular. And then I, he, I remember him saying that he went to a show, uh, I think in like Seattle, and there was like a petition that was started, like, don't Nickelback not going to Seattle, sign the petition. And there was like a bunch of people that signed it. But as soon as they got to Seattle, he's like, we felt so much love. We had fans there. And they're like, I don't know why you guys are hated. So it's like, I, I don't know. It's a weird dynamic. <laughs> it's a weird dynamic with Nickelback. It's either you love them or you hate them, I think. <laughs> what's what's I don't funny know. is that, al- that album, what you're talking about, that came out the year that Blink-182 broke up. Really? 2005. I just looked that up. And I, I was thinking about it. And I think that like, Part of the reason with that is that it is that bridge. You, you made a really good point about that bridge between radio music and internet music. That's mm-hmm. really where that shift started to happen was about 2006 to 12. That's yep. where things really took that shift. Um, and Blink-22 got out of that with that earworm music. Before, like They broke up before. They, they probably wouldn't have functioned well after 2005 with the type of music they did during that era. And they're able to take that break and come back in like what 2010, 11, yep. and do really well. Um, but it, it's a really good thing they escaped that era of music because our view of what they did would be just completely different. I think, just like that Nickelback thing, where it's just like it must be a meme. Like the new generation of people are listening to it, and they're starting to discover like the internet kind of kind of music, that kind of different vibe of uh, just just finding so many different genres like at demand at your demand versus the regional restrictions of finding music that that's an interesting parable we don't get like nowadays is uh now we have music so at our fingers that you know it used to be it, it was whatever was on the radio and stocked in the local store shelves mm-hmm. so yep. what you listened to was very restrictive to the area you were in and post 2005 that really stopped existing i think just a couple different things like it's 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 weird how much the internet and like, like shit, like the fact that we're talking to Roe right now is amazing. Like never probably had like this thought come across like as like, this is what the internet can, has the ability to do and everything like that. So it's just, it's interesting to see like how we have the ability to reach so many people right now and like do so much, but yet it almost seems like because of that, there is a flood of so much that it is still hard to find things. You know what I mean? Where it's just like mm-hmm. right now there's so much. And I feel like that's almost like kind of like what you're saying with music. It was like you had the radio or you had the the store. So it's like back then it was hard because you couldn't get your your music out that you wanted to and everything. So I don't know. Like I feel like for bands and everything like I mean, Tristan you you played in a band and everything so maybe you can kind of contest to this is like how hard was it to try to like get your music out there and everything like that was it would you say it's like on par with like it was easier or harder or is it like what aspects did you find to be kind of difficult what i learned when i was trying to play in a band is we existed during a transition where it it, it shifted from 
trying to get a contract and then having basically a business handle your money dealings. Cause that's like what Blink mm-hmm. 2 is in and kind of like that you get signed and then you have a record company basically sponsoring you and pushing. There's good and bad to that, but like they, it was almost like a guaranteed amount. They're going to give you this much and this is what is expected of you. It's a deal you're trying to reach where you kind of can get by till the next contract and the next contract where you're trying to constantly sell yourself to them. Right. Yep. That was the whole thing with record contracts. And that hasn't existed in a little while and it's just been dying very slowly. COVID completely killed that. Like mm-hmm. that, that doesn't exist anymore practically. I mean, people are still signed to labels, but like I watched this video on this one rapper dude recently where they're talking about his label contract where like he was con- like contracted to this person, but this record company was a subsidiary of this record company, which was a subsidiary of this record company, which was a subsidiary of this record company. So then all of a sudden that deal is split five ways. Yeah. So there's no money in that anymore. It's just not the same. Where money comes from now is basically from being an influencer within your music. It's selling yourself to your audience directly. So Mm. it's your audience needs to buy your merch, subscribe to all your little bullshit, get into your monthly (laughs) stuff. They need to... I mean... There's good and bad to that, right? But like, if you're our audience, uh, subscribe to us. <laughs> Give us your money. <laughs> well, that's the point. So I mean, uh, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Smith said, and I think it's a really good point. If you could get a thousand people to buy whatever you're selling all the time, you'd never have to work again for the rest of your life. So as long as you can get like a thousand people to buy everything you're putting out and just constantly create honest content, they're gonna they're gonna buy it, and you should have enough money to at least survive and get by. Um, Mm -hmm. That's more the market you approach music from nowadays, where before it was more about pleasing, uh, cheer your own artistic integrity and your fans and everything like that. But that big record company thing, it was that like thing you, it was that barrier of entry. You had to get past that. You had to deal with them because there was absolutely no way to distribute your music in the past without their help because it was physical media or servers. Even in the early 2000s, when you're talking about like distributing stuff on iTunes and when people actually bought music, remember people bought music online for a little while. That actually existed. Mm -hmm. Short-lived thing, but it happened. But still, like you couldn't afford the server space to store that and allow people to actually buy it from you. That's expensive as shit, especially in the early 2000s. Otherwise, before that, it was all done on CD and before that cassette and before that on vinyl and before that on like tape again. it's all physical media that you have to have somebody produce it and record it and the technology of it was just so different. But now that that doesn't exist, you're back to that flooding thing that you were talking about earlier where there's so much all the time, like it's impossible to wade through what's going on. And technology has made it so much easier to sound not terrible and just have some basic understanding or have like software do a lot of fixes for you or like, fuck, you, you know how to use an arpeggiator and know four chords. You can create some pretty intense stuff. Uh, Mm Because it does half the writing for you. But, you know, in the past, it just, you had to come up with everything organically and then print it organically. In order to do that, you had to deal with a record company. Like, so do you think, I I think, I don't know if it's the same in in India, Ro. Maybe maybe you can kind of shed some light on this too. So I feel like, a way for a band, and Tristan, I want to hear your opinion on this too. So let's just take Blank 182, right? Now, I, and Ro, I know you may not know their type of music, but I feel like the way that the only way that bands can survive now is they have to adapt as to what the what is trending in the sense. Like, I feel like there's very few bands. I mean, I could be wrong. 
but I feel like the well, let's just say the bigger bigger bands. So let's Taylor Swift. Let's just use her as an example. From where she started to where she is now, completely different. And is I feel like is that is that what's going to have to happen for a band to survive? Is they have to constantly be changing? Because I feel like as a band, like I almost like take our podcast. I don't feel like we should change anything that we're doing to like to stay relevant. You know what? I, but I mean, like it's weird because like if you want to survive, that's almost like what you have to do in a sense. It's weird. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Music. Yeah. I mean, the trends uh-huh. keep on evolving, and the the band or the music company has to keep up with the trends. It it all depends on what the audience wants at the end of the day. And also as a band, um, if you want more audience, more listeners, you would make your music in a way where your listeners have easy access to it. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's why one of the reasons bands start out by playing in pubs is because of more visibility. And, you know, that's how through word of mouth um, it would spread that this, this band is good or uh, you know that that's how they they move on, and then obviously social media plays such a huge role, a huge yeah. role in nowadays especially. So yeah, they have to keep up. What do you think, Tristan? If you're going for um, maximum like output from it, if you're looking for to being a giant star and making all the money and the fabulous prizes, all that shit. Um, just the split between music, like musical integrity and doing that, it, it, it's greater than it ever has been. Um, cause it's exactly what you're talking about. You do have to sell out to the trends or the, or the thing of the times or basically what's, um, they, they call them, um, industry plants now a lot of the time it's where you like get some young kid that is kind of starting to make music and he looks good like justin bieber is actually a great example of that it's when they come after some young kid that has some talent and like they see it coming up and then the fucking industry gets them and they just make them into what they want them to be and there's a lot of bands that are like that or not bands don't really fucking exist anymore at least not on that level um new ones don't really you don't really see new bands people of three or like musical groups of three or more people actually getting that popular anymore it really doesn't happen it's one or two or like a singular person or if you get into like the electronic music you generally get to three maybe but that shit doesn't it just doesn't happen anymore um that, that's really weird that you say that because that's a hundred percent i feel like that is true i feel like it's usually just like a single person that the industry plucks up and then it's like, you are now the trend. You are now what is cool. And like they almost what you're saying, they like they tailor them to what they want. I, I, I don't know if you guys ever watched reality TV. I love it. I watch a lot of reality TV from Pluto because I just do. One of the things I love is things like Kitchen Nightmares where like it, it's about the market that you're in, right? It's about the, it's about what do the people around you want? And that's how you're going to formulate your business, which is mm-hmm. a lot of how music is done nowadays. They find some semi-talented people. I mean, a, a lot of those like quote unquote industry plant people like there's plenty of it. They're really fucking talented kids. They, they just, they're young and they don't have a direction. There's no band thing going on. They just know they want to make music. And then they're just kind of pushed in certain directions by people that understand what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. I, there gets to be a, like it, this, uh, hollowness in the integrity of the music at that point, unfortunately, 
because it's just pushed in certain directions that aren't organic. But if you want to make music that's organic nowadays, you have to function on that model exactly like you would as a minor YouTuber or like someone making a podcast for money, if that was the thing. Like you have to function directly to your audience and directly to the people that feel the way you feel about things. Because that's what you're going to sell yourself on is because people get really bored and upset with things that are trying to sell you what they think you want. People can pick up on that a lot and that, that shit gets really annoying. But there's something special about finding somebody that you listen to that just is themselves, but also feels the same way that you feel. And that's where you're willing to spend money on them because it's just like this person is just being themselves and I resonate with that. Yes. I, that, wow. I, you just said our, our podcast in a nutshell there, Tristan. <laughs> For me, Tom DeLong was one of those people where he just tried so hard and never really was that disingenuous about himself. He went through his really silly period where it's nothing but, you know, dick and fart jokes. And then he got all serious and emo and like talked about how many feelings he fucking had. And I loved yeah. all of it the entire fucking time. Cause it just, it felt like parts of me that like I was trying to express, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the silly humor or the actual emotion. And I always liked that. The thing I never understood about Tom DeLonge as much as I just think he's a really interesting person. I've never gotten this is his fucking obsession with aliens. <laughs> Before we get into that, real quick, um, you said reality TV show. Ro, do you have a guilty pleasure for a reality show? I, I, I do, and I, oh, I'll tell you it in a second. I've but Ro, several. <laughs> Ro, do you have a guilty pleasure, like a reality TV show that you you love? I don't actually, because especially in India, it, it's so dramatized. I mean. Don't need that amount of drama. I mean, I've never in my life. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Ah, oh, okay. Mine. I I I will rewatch this. There's only I think I think there's two seasons. There might be three, but I will watch. I think there's three. Yeah, there's three. I will rewatch this series over and over and over again. It's uh, Brett Michaels' Rock of Love. Oh Fuck, my yeah. gosh. That I, show's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so Brett Michaels Rowe is a another another rock star. Uh he was really uh, big lead in the singer eight. of poison. Uh another yep. every rose has its thorn or whatever. That's that every rose has its thorn. You know that song, Ro? That one. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but that that's my guilty pleasure. Uh, for for a song, um, but yes, Tom DeLonge, his uh, his UFO obsession and everything like that. So, really, how it it all started and everything was, I think it, I think this kind of like it may relate to all of us in a way. Was like it started out in his in his youth, where apparently he was in a in his school library, and. I think it was he just had to read a book or it was like a book report or something like that. And he saw like a cover of a book with a UFO and like the Loch Ness Monster. And it he said like it just it resonated with him. He thought like, oh, that, that looks cool. So that's where he like got the love of UFOs. Like that was the seed that was planted for me. I, I, I can I can relate to this because like I always struggled with reading growing up and it just like it was never it never appealed to me but 
it was the book Jurassic Park that mm. I like. It was just like, I, and I think I think we covered that in. Uh, I think yeah, I brought that. Talking about this, yeah, yeah, and it was like that book. It just something about it, and that's and granted, like I was a little bit older and everything like that. My my dad would always watch UFO stuff, and I would always watch it with him on the TV. So that's kind of where that started too. But I can relate to him where that's where like the love of cryptids and like the unusual and the weird started, like was very, very small. Would you guys say the same for both of you? Did it start at a young age or was this something like even like the podcast stuff, like the things that we talk about, was this something that happened later in your life? Whereas like this kind of like sparked your interest. Aliens? No. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe not just aliens in general, bro. <laughs> but like, like just like all this weird <laughs> aliens. <laughs> I guess anything weird. I guess like cryptids, <coughs> ghosts, and everything like that. Was that something like Big from ghost? a childhood? Yes. Yeah, ghosts. Yeah. Yes, because um, at least I've been brought upon. Lot of stories from my grandmom, and and uh, a few of those also included uh, real life ghost stories. Actually, my grandfather saw. So I've always been curious about ghosts, and it always fascinated me. It scared me a lot. That's a different story altogether. But it definitely had me curious, and I was always fascinated. I still want to watch horror movies, although I'll sleep with all the lights on at night. My imagination breaks. <laughs> Havoc over me that there's someone at the window, there's someone on the ceiling, everything. But yeah, it, it's just ghosts uh. and ghost stories have me hooked. So yeah, it's it's a childhood thing. So what, what about you, Tristan? Like, do you feel like there's anything like that, like from a young age, that kind of like got you hooked or anything like that? As far as like the strange, anything like that? Mm. I mean, kind of. Um, I've never been super into aliens or ghosts as much. To me, it was always more the metaphysical stuff or like, um, like branching off from standard religion. It was kind of, I guess, what fucked me up most is just kind of like trying to understand like the idea of what we are as people and how our minds work and how that relates to the universe. And then like reconciling that with what I loved about science and like space and just technology and just kind of like how your brain functions within a reality as interpreting things versus um actually existing in it i i, I don't know why but that kind of clicked with me at a very young age and just kind of always freaked me the fuck out yeah <laughs> and like ever since then that always relates to me with everything weird right whether it be something like aliens or ghosts or anything it always just kind of like there's always that extra layer that exists um, beyond things. I don't describe that necessarily in any specific way, but from a very, very young age, I always just kind of had that weird, just weird feeling all the fucking time for no mm. good reason. And I think it's just the kind of like what a lot of people do is they try to explain that weird feeling in ways that make sense. Cause there's always stuff to explain that doesn't fit logic. So, so something that Tom DeLonge had brought up is that he feels that um, that our generation and everything like that is designed to be 
like obsessed with these sort of things. Um, he said like that there are like events and like like I I know Tom, he like it, it, the way he talks and everything like that. If you watch, uh, there's a really good interview with him and Joe Rogan. It's about like 15, 20 minutes. I suggest everyone you like go go no, watch. No, dude, it. it's a podcast. It's like two and a half hours. If, yeah, if you want to watch the whole thing, but <laughs> like, but there's like a highlight clip that's like about 20 oh, okay. minutes d- yeah. dumbed down version. It's 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 really good. Um, but he gets into like all this stuff, but he feels like it's um, our generation is supposed to be like kind of obsessed with this stuff, and that like all these events that like whether it be UFO or like anything really that's kind of like in the paranormal is all designed, and it's to like to push our thought in a certain direction. It's really interesting. Yeah. Just make me like, I don't know, let's like combine a few things real quick. Um, yep. There's this one uh, Kurt Vonnegut story I remember I told you guys about where it was uh, when people stopped looking externally and they started looking internally, that's where the real discovery happened because they stopped becoming obsessed with like looking at space and things like that. Um, uh-huh. I, I really think that's kind of partly what he's talking about. Uh, in reference to that, I'm thinking of something like what? Uh, Bo Burnham has talked about in some of his more recent specials where like he used to call like the whole point is inside is now out. Now we are just so used to used to and comfortable in existing in our like insular worlds where things stop being about you know, the group and everybody like around you in the greater whole that like uh, I can't remember the number or the name of the number, but that like 150, you can only recognize like 150 people like their faces because that's the amount of people that were typically in a tribe for mm-hmm. people for most of human history. And we're, we're moving, we're moving beyond that. Now we're at that point where people are finally being born into a generation or a time frame where that just doesn't exist. You know, people are brought up with their iPads and, you know, they did everything they were designed to do. They, they, they taught people to just live in this insular world that doesn't exist anywhere else. And so that relates back to that Kurt Vonnegut quote, where it's like, now people are being forced to look like at themselves. And, mm-hmm. and it, it tells you a lot about people, what they're going to do, whether they're going to basically like engage in that weird network that we have, that is the internet and do all kinds of terrible things for attention, or are they going to reflect and work on themselves? I think, so I, two things. I, I, first off, like I, okay, just. Fuck, fuck it. Okay. I, I don't, I don't have kids. I, I can't, I, I, I can't just say like, cause I, okay. I know that like my, my brother, when he had like, before he had his kids, he was like, I'm going to raise my kids this way. This all my kids, but that all that shit went out the window when my nieces were born. Right. It's in like, he had, he's like, I had to switch gears and everything, but mm-hmm. oh, you, you said it, Tristan, kids having iPads and like having that technology. Like I grew up with like, a, a, a GI Joe that I would carry around in like a toy car. That was my source yeah. of entertainment. How do you guys feel as far as like, is that, do you feel like that's an okay thing? Do you feel like that's like, it, it can be used like appropriately? Or do you think that's bad to do like give an iPad to a child, like that technology that soon off in there? Like, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Again, um, yeah, even I don't have any children. so. Um, I don't know a lot, but um, I think parenting is unique. You cannot really put them in blocks and say that this is how a good parent should be. Mm-hmm. Each of them have their own um, 
you know, priorities. I mean, obviously the child is a priority for them, but then uh, there are working parents, there are stay-at-home parents. So each of the parenting style is different, even within, even if like, I, I am a working parent and there's another friend of mine who is a working parent as well. Our parenting styles will again be different because um, I think that um, exposing a child to iPads or social medias at such a young age may not be a good idea. I might want them to be more physically, you know, um, be Shit. able to you know, oh, okay. go on the playground, play with other children. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so sorry, I? Ro. I didn't mean to cut you off. You you, you froze there for a second. <laughs> sorry, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just for I a quick, pretty quick though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Did you guys hear what I said, or was that lost? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it came together. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I might want my child to socialize more, and maybe probably the other parent would want would not want the child to go out as much. May want to bring up the child in a more protected environment and you know uh if the child is crying just hand over an ipad or a phone just to shut them up so that they have their own peace of mind so it's okay i mean i'm not saying it's bad it's mm. it's how you would want your child to be raised there's no good or bad i believe in parenting it it is all upon an individual that's a, that's a, that's a good way to put it, Ro. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah I, I think you. I think you. We. I think we all kind of maybe agree. I'm not going to speak for Tristan or anything like that, but I. I feel like that's kind of the. I feel like that's yeah. That's you. You hit it right on the head right there, Ro. Is every parent is different. Everyone's going to want to parent their their child different. I could maybe see maybe like a little bit of um, if there's not like a parental control over some of the stuff, or mm. if like the parent is not yep. like filtering that stuff. Because I mean, if all Absolutely. if all. If it's not, if it's just like Barney and it's just like it's child proof and it's like like learning the ABCs, like okay, sweet. <laughs> like if you have a million like child games and like educational stuff, like I can hundred percent see like okay, is it's good. Yeah. But if you if there's no filter and you're letting I don't know your child watch like influencers and they're doing like mm-hmm. weird challenges for the month and everything like that, I could see that being like yeah. all right, hey, you might. I could see some controversy with that. So yeah, yeah. That that definitely has to be in place, the filters. Yeah. What do you think, Tristan? Um. Well, I mean, I I, I agree overall. I, I I think two points I want to add, like not instead of, but kind of add to that. One, I think it's a parent's responsibility to have a plan, or at least you'll always fail in your plan. I'm sure, just from growing up as a kid, I remember that, but, uh, just uh, still some sort of constructive plan to introduce them to what the world is like. Mm -hmm. And that's what the online as toxic and horrible as it is. It's really bad to shelter someone completely from it and then let them hit it all at once. That's not healthy for anybody. That is a really bad thing to do to people. So you have to find a way to dole that in correctly as your child matures. It's going to be different to every kid and every parent and just like their comfort level, there's going to be so many factors within that. And at certain points, they're going to get in more information than they can probably take. Or other times, they're going to be a little bit more restricted depending on how kind of you're going. But there should be some concerted effort to ensure that it doesn't happen all at once. Um, it's a big thing. And the second thing I always, I always point about, like, uh, you know, the, the iPad children, is, you know, there's also that generation called the TV 
generation too, where their parents just put them in front of the TV. I I think ultimately the goal is like exactly like Ro was saying, like people get, you're going to be tired and like, here, just shut up. Like, look at this for a minute. I need to, like, I had a hard day. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but at the end of the day, you should always be pushing yourself to interact with your kids, um, especially in the world now where it's going to be harder for them to interact with people in person as much because that's just, the way social interactions are now. They're, they're, they're shifting from what they used to be. All the young people I know that are kind of had grown up a little bit differently than I have, just the way they interact with the world is a little different. It's not drastically different, like so much so that you can't have a conversation or anything like, but there, there's different idiosyncrasies to the way people interact now. And I think it's important for kids to understand the subtleties of human, like looking people in the face and watching their, what's going on. A lot of kids, a lot of people don't do that. And like, I I think that's really, really important is you got to look at what's happening in their face because there's so much information lost if you don't look at somebody in the eyes when you're talking to them. Um, but that, that, that subtlety of conversation can be lost if you're just shoving the iPad in front of your kid's face all the time and you're never talking to them. Two, two things on that. Like, I think we all experience that with like text messaging, like even, like even Mm -hmm. each other, just like we, we can't see the tone. We can't see like the facial expressions where it's like, wait, are you being serious? Like, wait, what? Like, it's just (laughs) sometimes the, like. That little piece, yeah. just like seeing someone in the face, you can miss the uh, those subtle little cues. And then also, there's a there was a meme that was out where it was like, yeah, we might be the cell phone generation, where it's like we're always looking at our phones. But the, it showed a picture from like I think uh, it was like the 20s or 30s, might have been the 40s. But anyways, it was um, everyone was on the bus and everyone had a newspaper, like everyone and no. Yeah. Yeah, and no one was talking to each other. It was just like they were that's, in their own. Th- that's how the dude got the idea for the original Game Boy. He was riding the train uh, in Tokyo, and he noticed a dude just playing on his calculator rather than talking to somebody or interacting with un- anyone next to him. He was just playing on a little pocket calculator, and he's like, adults would do this too. Like, this is how we can get video games to adults, was basically what clicked in his brain. Wow. Is making it portable and something you can do on your commute, something quick and fun. Like the little fucking Candy Crush or Sudoku we do now while we're just like commuting yeah. or waiting. And <laughs> yep. he got that that clicked in his brain. And that that's his oldest time. People are always going to just like be insular and just like do some fun activity to themselves. That's where like, you know, tapping your fingers comes from or mm-hmm. thinking of weird thoughts in your head or like making scenarios that are going over conversations that didn't happen and how you're going to win that argument. <laughs> you know, that... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've crushed every argument I've ever been in in my head. (laughs) Yeah, right. We all have. (laughs) Uh, But so, like, another thing with Tom DeLonge and just kind of like speaking about like just people in general is, um, is that he he believes that that like aliens and like UFOs have been here for a long time. Like a lot of people believe that. Um, something that he believes in is something called the red shift, where it's the way he described it is almost like a it's a craft or it's a a concept that you can move about time stopping it it's it's get that one row i froze i froze i froze did you guys get the picture That should be we yes. like so. Well, the missed op, the missed opportunity <laughs> we're having is within the YouTube videos you're posting. We need to use those as the thumbnails. 
the the ones that I'm <laughs> frozen. Because <laughs> yes. they're amazing yes. and super eye catching every time. It's like, okay. what the fuck is happening I, in this video? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll start. I'll start using them. I'll start using those as thumbnails from now on. <laughs> just, yeah, I, I'm curious I if it helps because it, it, it's got some good. Yeah, I do the same for Instagram as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, sounds good. <laughs> but yeah, like it, <laughs> the concept of the red shift is like uh, it, it's a an idea or a theory that like you can move about time. Um, and everyone, rather than just like you moving really fast, time has stopped and you're moving about it. And that's it's he calls it like the red shift. And he's got a company right now that is trying to make this like it, it's really weird when he's talking about this, because like every time he's like, yeah, I got this company and I'm working with this person. He never like really says who they are. Now, I will say that he does have a a website. Um, the website is actually called to the stars academy.com. If you go onto that website, um, like the, <laughs> the very front page or the, the home page or whatever, the very bottom, it has a picture of him. And I think like it's three other people and it lists like all their credentials. Right. And one of the, like one of the credentials is like one of the guys has had worked for at C at the CIA, for like 25 years and like, just like all these really big names. And it's just, it makes you, cause like the, the thing is, and you guys can kind of contest to this is like, well, all right, well, if, if you're naming people like that and you're saying this information, don't you think like government agencies would be trying to shut this down and like, no, like don't stop talking about this, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, all right. I'm trying to get everything sorted in my brain okay so he <laughs> my notes are kind of all over the place right okay so but he um how are it so kind of taking a step back and everything like that before how he like he met all of these people right so when he was in the band blink 182 he would read books on on his tours and everything like that and the books that he would read were about ufos aliens like all all this all this stuff and this was, again, we had kind of talked about this. This was pre-internet, cell phones, and everything like that. So reading books was the norm and everything. So what he started to do was he started putting all of these pieces together. Like he started noticing like patterns and like different things. And he kept notes of them and everything. And when he was in the band Blink-182, they were never, I guess, really sure if they were going to make it big. So what they did, like, I guess all the band members did as like as a backup was they had businesses on the side or like they had like a backup plan in the event that, you know, I think that's that's smart. Um, and one of the things that he created, again, was that website to the stars But what the idea or how he explained it was that it was more of a almost like an entertainment thing where it was supposed to be stories, books and movies for adults, kind of like how Disney does it. So, you know, like like the Little Mermaid and then like there's a big motion picture and all this stuff. Um, That was the concept behind his company to the stars Academy. Um. And I forgot what <laughs> I forgot what the name of his first book was, but what he ended up doing was he 
when he was going to write his first book, he had to go to all like all these different people to kind of like ask for permission. Well, apparently that like that caught the eye of like a couple of like people like hidden in the shadows, whatever. And he he gets an email one day saying, hey, meet me at the Pentagon. Like that's like, you know, like the big government thing for the United States. So he goes to the Pentagon, apparently, and he I don't know if he actually went into the building or if it was like across, but he went within the the vicinity and apparently he was talking with someone there and they put him on the phone with like some general within the military. Right. And he started talking to the general and he's like. The general wanted to know kind of like what his idea was for like this movie or this book that he was doing. And he started telling him, he's like, it's, it's this because I've, I've, I've read this and these are all these pieces, yada, yada. And the general's like, I need you to, I need you to meet with somebody. So apparently this guy flies down to NASA and starts talking with this other guy. It, 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 in the interview that he talks about all this stuff, he never gives any names. He's like, I can't say names. And that's what kind of, like, that's what kind of makes me like, kind of like scratch my head and be like, mm, is he really telling the truth? But kind of like what you were saying, Tristan, he is so like genuine and like, you know, it, it I don't think he's lying. It may not be real at all, but I don't think he thinks it's not real. Yes. Yeah, like he 100% believes all of this stuff. He's convinced of everything he's saying. Like, I believe that completely. I, just, I don't necessarily think it's all true, but he is 100% convinced of what he's saying. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And, that, and like, I don't know. It's just really interesting to hear him talk about, like, all of these meetings with all these, like, random people that he can't give names Long story short, like there's like a huge chain of people that he's like telling this stuff to. Well, he's at an airport, right? Because he's supposed to go like meet with another person. He's at an airport in a restaurant and he's by himself and some random guy sits at his table. And the first thing that the guy says to him is it was during the Cold War that we found a life form. And like, this is the part in like the interview, like, cause this is coming from like the Joe Rogan interview with him that like Joe Rogan is like a huge, like you can see like the skeptic and like the, like you can just be like, like, it's like, wait, 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 wait. And I, I, I had the same question too, but like, it was, why would they pick you? Like, why would, why would they tell you? The like fucking it, singer for Blake 182. And like. that's the thing is like that's what like I was I was talking to my wife about this before the podcast and she's like why why would they pick him or like why him? And I think that's that's the big question. Why him? Well, the way that he explains it is that he has a service to provide for them that they can't. And the way that they explain it or the way that he explains it is that the government apparently has been trying to tell the like the uh, the public information, but they don't know how. Like they're going about it in a very, I guess, bad way or not a good way. And he has the ability to bridge that gap where it's like he has the ability to tell people within the public about this stuff correctly. Because you have like one end of the spectrum where it's like the government is doing all this and they're covering up and we can't handle it. And then the government is like, well, we can't tell you this. And so it's like there's all this. I guess like misinformation and conspiracies and all of that. 
Ro, were you going to say something? No, no. Oh, it's okay. interesting that <laughs> it's interesting that he decided that he was the messiah of alien. Or you know, he was the spokesperson. Well, that's, he decided he was. Well, that and that's kind of like what he's. He kind of like puts it as as that it's like he is the spokesperson or he can communicate the information from these secret i guess not secret but like these organizations to the public but here's the thing though is like i have never heard him like until like actually doing the research and like looking up stuff i've never heard him openly talk i've never seen him on like fox or cnn or like anything like that being like that's just how he is man like uh that's what like that's the whole band angels and airwaves is him doing that shit. Yeah. Like him just trying to say shit and be like, I'm going to change the world and talk to the people directly and like <laughs> do this whole big thing. And it's a band that no one gives a fuck about. And that's just kind of his story. We're just like, I think he tries and I think he believes it. I just like, once he starts talking aliens, people just tune it out. And no one picks it up or, like, gives a fuck. They just want to hear him play, you know, I Miss You or all the small things. <laughs> and shut up and play your guitar, monkey. Like, that's that's all they care about, man. Like, that's, that's I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really, because, that like, that was his big thing was, like, he is the spokesperson for or for us. And, yeah, like, what you were saying, Tristan, like, when you listen to him talk and everything like that, you can see him really believe what he is saying. And like, that's what makes it like, that's what makes it interesting too. And then, but you also like, you look at his website too and it's like, okay, well yeah, all these people actually did work there. So why would they be working with him too? I I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird, like when you kind of like look a little bit more into it, it's very, very weird, but he was saying that, um, the way that the gov, the, before I start, go ahead, Tristan. What's that movie? Um, murder on the Orient Express? Isn't that the movie where they murder the dude on the train? Mm-hmm. Yes. Where everybody kills him, but no one's willing to admit it because they all like knew they killed him. Like, but that's that's the whole thing. Is they're trying to figure out who killed the guy on the train, but literally everybody stabbed him at one point. That's that's always my thing with this thing with like uh, where you get scientists that come from different government agencies willing to admit like, Oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. And like, Oh, there's so many of them. So it must be real. But like, I, that always gets me that, that kind of concept where it's just like people's ego and like hubris and just all that stuff. Cause the second they hear someone else is saying the same shit that just reinforces them. And it creates this echo chamber of people lying that can then take advantage of someone like Tom DeLonge, who's so <laughs> fucking willing to believe so fucking eager like dude if if a bunch of motherfuckers like faking the shit out of it like for completely alternate reasons came to you personally with this kind of stuff i i I love you alex but you would eat it up like fucking (laughs) dinner man i mean i i would but i would be paranoid i i really would i would probably be like shut all my windows and be like well what did i say what did i do they they would probably like you know it'd probably be very easy to like get me like scratching and like connecting dots and like the yeah. string and be like wait what what podcast episode did i say this in and wait what did rose say then <laughs> so that's that's where it comes down to like i really believe like he believes what's going on but i'm never like not willing to believe that 
I, I think he means genuinely, but people can take advantage of that kind of nature really fucking easily. Yeah. Especially when people are talking about their own ego and they're just like, you know, you work in a government job doing super specific scientific stuff and no one knows who the fuck you are. So if you have any sort of ego, it's not out of the question to assume that you're going to do something to get publicity for it later because the whole reason you got into that position was to get notoriety to begin with because you're working for the government and fucking CIA science shit. Like, why the fuck would you take that job if you didn't want someone to know your name, right? Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I, I, I actually had a question for you, Alex. Hmm, what's up? Um, the, the point where he narrates the incident that he, someone just came and sat down at his table and started off with saying that it all began in Cold War and yeah. things like that. By that time, you know, uh, was... Any of his articles or his thoughts put out in the public? I, I and I'll tell you why I'm asking this. It's because it can be anyone who recognized him and must have thought, let's fuck around with him. Let's just go and start a conversation. Well, I see. I think the only ones that really knew like how like because he it didn't seem like he was very vocal about it or like he wasn't like going out and being like hey i believe in ufos you should too he, I, if, I feel like it was something he kind of kept to himself because again you look at when he was actually in the band up until 2000 or mid 2000s it was he's the lead singer from blink 182 it was like it, this wasn't the ufo conspiracy guy it was so i feel like it was something that maybe <sighs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I don't feel like he was vocal about it and maybe just to his band members. And then also too, like, I don't know who would have access to his email to personally email him and be like, Hey, fly to the Pentagon, you know, C- couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, one, he's not the lead singer. He's one of the lead singers. Oh. Let's put that out there. My apologies. <laughs> Two lead singers, that band. Uh, but more importantly, I think I think it really has to do with the dynamic shift of like what they did artistically as to why this kind of started happening. Because as I talked about before, like the early on, they were all like dick and fart jokes, mm-hmm. and aliens was that kind of bro thing to kind of be like, like oh, he's also into aliens, and he'd, like there's videos of him in like the early 2000s going on like UFO hunts, and he's just being ridiculous and just silly and just shit like that. And it, 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 it was comical to him at that point, right? And people took his obsession with UFOs as comical. Then he got into like that weird emo phase where it was the like the album, you know, Blink-182, where they really started to take things more serious and they broke off and like he did the Angels and Airwaves thing where that was like super, like he was trying to say, like he was doing the best he could to change the world with that band. It didn't work, but like that, he was literally doing the best he could to inflict something at that point. And it just makes sense that like his progression into kind of more seriousness. And then he took like the alien things a lot more serious as time went on. I mean, they said that like when he left the band, um, the last time where they got the guy from Alkaline Trio to take over, like he literally left the band to like pursue this alien shit. Mm-hmm. Like that was the whole reason he like left the big, he millions and millions and millions of dollars just hanging out with his friends, playing the same old songs. He decided he didn't want to do that because he had, the band was taking a backseat to his alien endeavors. 
So, I mean, I uh, guess that's a big leap, man, yeah. from being like a fart joke band that just kind of liked aliens to like this dude is leaving millions and millions of dollars on the table just because he believes in this so much. That's some major dedication, I should tell you. Yeah, that's that's why I believe he. That's why I believe he believes it. I, I just I don't necessarily believe it's real, but I believe he believes it. So, what were you gonna say, Ro? What, what, were, your, what were your thoughts? Because you were you were gonna say, I guess, if he was vocal. No. Oh, okay. No, that that was it. I mean, if he was vocal about it, and you know, somebody just decided to mess with him, this is know. how they would do it: just come and sit at his table and start a conversation mm-hmm. about aliens. What do you think, Tristan? Do you think that's possible, or do you think that do you think that was the case, or do you think it was genuine? Yeah, I mean, I I really think like if all these people have the credentials that they have. I think it's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to bring back South park. You ever seen that one, um, where butters goes missing and, uh, it was because they killed him. They thought they'd killed him and they like put him in a car down the river or whatever. Cause. Oh yeah. 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 Like his dad was at a bunch of male bathhouses. So his yeah, mom yeah. tried to kill herself and killed the yep. like whatever. Yep. And, and they had the whole thing with, uh, that one Puerto Rican guy. Where it's like a bunch of the families where the kids disappear and they all blame it on some porter. I'm doing a lot of air quotes here for people that can't obviously see me. Yeah. (laughs) Like the the whole point is like the parents killed their children. So they're they're using it as some Puerto Rican guy. It it, it just kind of feels that same way where it's just like a bunch of people lying to him and just all kind of feeding (laughs) off of each because they're just like... I, like I said earlier, they all work for the government or just like wanted some sort of notoriety for what they're doing. I mean, it's totally possible that they're genuine and there's a bunch of stuff going on, but it just feels like if you're going to go after anybody to manipulate them, you'd go after somebody that truly believes it. So if you're really trying to prove that this stuff is real, you'd go after somebody that doesn't believe it and like convince them of it. But this dude's been obsessed with that since he was a kid, like you talked about. So if you're going to manipulate somebody for either notoriety or money or funding or whatever the hell you could, it'd be very easy for a manipulative mind to be going like, oh, what's a really, really famous person with a fuck ton of money that believes in aliens? (laughs) One of the first people you're going to think of if you're into that kind of thing is Tom DeLonge. Yeah. And it's it's totally possible that everything that's going going around him is like legitimate and stuff like that but it just doesn't come across that way yeah there's it 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 is a when you actually hear him talk about this stuff and everything it's like some red flags like start going up and you're like "Ah, really like and it's we we just talked about like why you like why like what what about you is it that they like they trust you or they want you and it like he tries to explain it the best he can like he's like he has the ability to bridge the gap. He can relate to people and everything. Like it's like, okay, like I, he thinks he thinks he can. And that comes into that thing I was talking about with the band where he's just trying to like change the world where like in his head, he's so famous and has had this effect on people. But mm. he seems to think that that effect he's had on people comes from how emotionally it is, like he is. But like really, it was just the fact that he's really good at writing good melodies and really like relatable songs to the angst and frustration of just kind of growing up. He was really good at that thing. But he tried to translate like that and to like just emo meaningful feelings bullshit and he, he he seemed to think that that's what resonated with people when it it wasn't as much so he he thinks of himself as like a voice of a generation type thing mm-hmm. and that just never 
it didn't it, it was kind of true but not in the way he thought about it not as big as mm-hmm. he thought it was oh yeah I think the perspective of it was different. Like he he perceived himself as almost some like philosopher of like his time. Uh, yeah. But in reality, people just thought he was funny and adorable and just like <laughs> genuine. And it will, like I talked about a lot earlier, it peeks into that like honesty thing within all of us. Like even if we're going to come across silly, it's better to be honest about it. And it's it's fun and people relate to that. And it makes you feel like you did like when you were being awkward and anxious and stuff like that. But he in his head, it seems to like be that he interpreted that as like what he was saying that he thought was smart was the stuff that people were resonating with, which was not true at all. Yeah. And then when it came to like people saying things like, Oh, like you're the chosen one to tell the people about aliens and his brain is like, fuck yeah, I am (laughs) like, look at all the shit I did. I'm worth like a hundred million dollars. And like people listen to what I have to say and they care. And which also brings up the other conversation of people like at his level being shielded from complete i don't know what his situation is with like his professional surroundings mm-hmm. don't know at all could be completely open but a lot of people worth as much as he like is he doesn't control anything he puts out everything's filtered and everything's filtered to him i i don't know for him for sure but like a lot of people at that mm-hmm. level of fame and like just money like they they don't interact with anything directly that makes sense they're mostly surrounded by yes men Mm-hmm. Whatever mm-hmm. you say goes. That's super dangerous for a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so, just like there's, there's two kind of things that I want to bring up before we kind of have our closing thoughts and everything like that. Well, one really is that like a big thing that he believes is like the distraction of like what is actually going on. So for instance, the, uh, the Roswell crash, he, he believes that like it was purposefully done to say like, it was a UFO. It wasn't a UFO to shield people from what it actually was. And he believes that it was, um, Nazi Germany technology that had crashed there. And the government didn't want people to actually dig into it, you know, like actually try to like, like, like what was going on during that time was like World War Two and everything. And it was just, let's distract people. Let's actually not make them think. So let's say it was a UFO. Let's not say it was UFO. Let's just confuse the populace. And then another thing that he had said was the moon landing. He said like, all right, let's said like the agencies were like, all right, let's say we went to the moon now. All right. Now let's say that we didn't go to the moon to shield people from what we actually found on the moon and everything. So it was just like he's that was just something else that he believes is like that's what's kind of going on. And I I, I don't know. It's just it's it's really interesting to to kind of to hear that and everything. So is that true? I I think it's a good like if you're trying to distract people, I think that's a that would be a good technique to use. Like, you know, say one thing and then say the opposite, but then try to divert people from what it actually is. Is that what's going on? I don't know. I I think we went to the moon, but I don't know. That's just me. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's Tom DeLonge. That's kind of his life right now. What's going on? His whole UFO kind of life and everything like that. There's there's plenty more. If you, the audience member, you want to seek more, just, just type his name into Google or into YouTube, whatever. There's plenty of videos. He's had plenty of interviews. 
like we said, Joe Rogan. Uh, I think he does one with Steve-O from Jackass. Uh, he He's kind of vocal about it. Kind of like what you're saying, Ro and Tristan. He, <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of open about it and everything. So, yeah. Would you, uh, so for you, Ro, what what did you think? Like, what did what do you what are your thoughts about about this guy and everything? Honestly, nothing. I mean, it's his choice to believe in. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. But <laughs> but while we were you know talking about uh, Tom DeLong, I was also thinking that one day, hopefully, someone would make a podcast about Alex. And his obsession no. about aliens. <laughs> I'm gonna look like a nut. That's every that's every episode of this show, though. I'm gonna look like, like a nut. Exactly. I mean, I mean, uh, someone. I mean, someone in that podcast would say, "Really, he was so obsessed with aliens. He went off and started a new podcast." You you He's, should really end about... every description you write with, and then Alex brought up aliens, and then just like end the description. I should, that, right? It, yeah, it's how it I goes. mean. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure the, the, I mean, those hosts would also speak about how Alex spoke about aliens in episodes where aliens should have absolutely no mention. <laughs> and even though he promised his co-hosts that he would not bring up aliens. They were doing a fishbowl about like chickens without heads. <laughs> and then somehow he brought up aliens were taking them. It was just crazy. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Final thoughts. But yeah, in this <laughs> In this case, to each his own. I mean, yeah. good for Tom DeLong being the representative and the spokesperson if that's what he believes in. Yeah. Good on him. Tristan? I love Blink-22. I, I love that band. Like, so not, I don't listen to it as much anymore. Um, I've heard it so many times. Um, but that, that band was amazing to me, and I thought they were all really interesting just characters and their personalities within that, including Tom DeLong. But I never fucking got the alien thing with him. Yeah. <laughs> it just it never made any sense to me. And, like, good on to him. And, like, I listened to the Joe Rogan interview, too, because I was really excited about it because at the time I was listening to him a fair bit because he had a lot of... That era of Joe Rogan was a lot better than modern era of Joe Rogan. Um, he had a lot of cool people on. And when he came on, I was stoked. I wanted to hear all this cool shit. And he just would not shut the fuck up about aliens for two fucking hours. <laughs> and like, it was all this stuff where like, there's no verifiable anything. He just said all this crazy stuff and just said he couldn't name names or talk about it. And it was one of the most frustrating experiences of my entire <laughs> life. And I listened to it twice because I love that band so much. And it still made me so mad. But I think he's a really cool dude. And... I hope at the end of the day, I hope he is he is right because his message wasn't necessarily negative either. He wasn't coming at it from like an evil alien perspective, if I remember right. It was it was more just a sense of discovery and just like there's all this kind of other stuff going on and just be aware of your surroundings and kind of like that metaphysical thing I talked about where like there's so much going on around you that your brain just kind of can't wrap its head around. Um, and I, I think that I think that's a good message to keep that. I, I think that's important for people to understand is that there's a lot of things, regardless of whether we have the capability of understanding it or not, it's important to understand that that exists outside of your understanding, if that makes sense. No, it it, it does. No, I, I think you put it pretty well. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> you going to say anything else? <laughs> I mean, maybe, but uh, it'd it. just be a rant at that point. So it's just, I don't know. No. For, I think it's a good perspective to have. That's all. Okay. <laughs> I for, for me, I can completely understand his love for UFOs and everything like that. I think the thing that I can't maybe like wrap my head around almost like with you, Tristan is like giving up your entire career, something you've worked kind of you know, hard for, you know, you finally, you finally made it, but you're, you're willing to give all of that up for something very, very unusual. And it's just, it's, I don't know. I almost like you wrote good on him to each their own. Um, I can understand from his, like his love for uh UFOs starting out at a young age, but it's just, yeah, it's um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it would be hard, and I think almost like what we kind of go over a couple of times. Like, there's plenty of people that you know experience stuff, whether it be paranormal. You know, it's like you know, it's it's hard to be accepted, and like the UFO community, I think is still kind of getting. You know, they get a lot of heat and everything like that for like being the weirdos. You guys give me heat just like two seconds ago for for liking aliens for hanging out wanting to hang out with those little green dudes but i don't know i don't know i think it's uh his story is very interesting and if uh for you the audience members if you want to uh you know look more into it i highly suggest it. it's a very interesting stuff we just kind of skim the surface of it uh but yeah i think that that rips up or rips up wraps up the rest <laughs> the rest of uh the rest of the show and everything so if you like what you heard just you know keep an eye out for more episodes we got plenty of them coming uh we got i think one more weird person that we're going to cover this month and then we're going to be moving on to our next topic so keep an eye out for that we're not going to tell you what it is uh we have plenty of stuff on the social media we got a great video of Roe on Instagram talking about uh, <laughs> someone who uh, got their revenge on a certain group of people. Go check that out. That's pretty. That's a, that's a good listen. And yeah, just uh, just remember one thing. I say it all the time that we don't want stuff that's normal. We want stuff that's effing weird.